This is my first time preaching at the 9.30. My debut. Now, there's a, apparently magic happens in the 9.30. I didn't realize this, but I experienced it today because I came in, I sat at the front, I faced the front, and behind me I knew there was 10 people. And then suddenly, when I come to preach, there's 100. Now, that is magic, isn't it? That's amazing. We'll blame Skyride rather than bad planning or laziness. Is that right, yeah? Blame Skyride, naughty Skyride, bad Skyride, to your bed. Um, it's my privilege to speak to you this morning from Psalm 126. It's the next one in our series of the Songs of Ascent. These are psalms which the people of God sang together as they pilgrimaged, how they, as they journeyed towards Jerusalem as part of their worship, as part of their celebration as the people of God, as part of their thankfulness for what God had done for them. So that's where we find ourselves. We're in Psalm 126. And what I love about the Psalms is their blatant realism. They don't kind of hide away from the raw reality of life, from the ups and downs of life, and the emotions we experience as human beings on this earth. They're in your face. They're honest, they're brutal, they're raw. And this psalm, maybe not brutal, but it is an honest reflection of what life is like. Because life has, it, has its ups, and life has its downs. It has its celebrations, and it has its challenges. And this psalm, as we will see, incorporates both of those into one psalm. And as we journey together through the psalm, I just want to make a kind of point straight off that as a community of believers together, we want to be those who go through the ups together and celebrate together, but we go through the downs together as well. God has brought us together to support one another, to celebrate together, and to help one another and encourage one another. But let's read the psalm. I was hoping I had a clicker to move the slides, but instead I've got Karis, which is even better. So we're going to move to the next slide, which has got uh, the psalm for us. So I'm going to read it out. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. The context here for the people of God is likely to be that they had been exiled, they'd been taken to slavery, possibly to Babylon. They were not where God wanted them to be, they were not where they wanted to be. They were in a place of difficulty and challenge. And their reflection is this, God restored our fortunes. God had brought them out of that scenario. God had done something miraculous and wonderful. And when they were in slavery, when they were in those difficulties, no doubt they'd have dreamed of being back home. They'd have dreamed of being a place of freedom. They'd have dreamed of being a place where they could freely worship God and do as they would please before God. And so the psalm says... 
We were like those who dreamed because they fulfilled their dream. They came out of that slavery. God brought them out and rescued them. And songs began to flow. Celebration came. Joy. Songs of joy and laughter. And as as human beings living on the earth, we know it when circumstances can bring about those things. Joy can come. Whether it's a new house or a, a new job, these things can bring celebration. For some people, a new car is a wonderful event that stirs joy. For some people, a new phone can be so significant that it brings this extra bit of joy in their soul for a few years, days, hopefully. Or maybe it's when your team win, David Cutting. Noticed the t-shirt this morning, worshiping Jesus, it fueled by a Germany victory last night. Thank you, Lord. (laughs) Yeah, victory. Well, we've got a slide here. We've got a little competition. Anyone know who this gentleman is? He's about to appear. Anyone know who he is? It's going to be a difficult one. No, I didn't think so. Excellent. Not Ipswich Town, no. 1987. I was 11 years old. And some date in May, I went to Wembley to see Coventry City play Tottenham Hotspur in the FA Cup final. And in extra time, Dave Bennett just kind of hoofed a ball in, it hit Gary Mabbott's knee, went over the keeper, and 3-2, winning goal. What joy. But then, after the game, Brian Kilcline, with his blonde moustache and his lion-like hair, lifted the FA Cup to celebrate Coventry's victory. And I sat on the bar with my dad holding me, and I cried tears of joy. So joyful. Circumstances have caused so much joy. Now, I was 11 years old, so you can forgive me for the emotion. My dad, however, he also wept like a baby. (laughs) And there are things in life, whether they're superficial or deep, there are things in life that can create joy. We experience it as part of being a human being. We have joy. And songs come sometimes as well. Definitely on that day, loads of songs were sung. Now, there is a danger, of course, that... We entirely link our joy to circumstances. And we're not called to do that. We're not a people to do that. Because there is a deeper joy for us that goes beyond our circumstances. So as Nehemiah encouraged the people as they were building Jerusalem, they were struggling, there was difficulty. He said, look, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Don't draw your strength from circumstances. Don't get joy from what's around. Go to the Lord. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And Paul also encouraged, uh, sorry, Peter also encouraged the believers by saying, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. We know this inexpressible and glorious joy. Not because we've got a new phone, not because our side has won the FA Cup, but because we know Jesus. Because he has saved us. If the people of God could celebrate coming out of exile with songs of joy, how much more, therefore, can we celebrate coming out of slavery to sin and into Christ? We're in him. He has saved us. Not by our merit, But because he's so good, he's so glorious, and his grace abounds in our life, and we can know him because Jesus died for our sins. 
He paid the price. He took our punishment. The wrath, the holy wrath of God, that is totally justifiable, yet totally un- understandable, un- understandable, that's a word, trust me. We will never know that. We will never taste God's wrath for us because Jesus took it in our stead. That's why we sing. That's why this morning David's got his guitar and he's helping us because we want to sing songs of joy because of what Jesus has done for us. And our true home is in him. We've been released from slavery to come into him, to live in him, to dwell in his love. And that's where our joy comes from, from being in him and knowing him. And let me just encourage us, let's be careful that our walk with God doesn't just become reading the Bible and praying in order that we can tick the box. Done. Done. Guilt moved away. I don't feel guilty now. I'm a good Christian because I've read my Bible and I've prayed. It's so much more than that, friends. So much more. Our joy comes from the fact that we're in him and we can walk with him. Part of this series, we want to encourage one another that we're walking with God together. We're not just ticking boxes together. We're walking with God. We're pursuing him. Joy is the product of knowing Christ and walking with him. And we want to pursue him, whether we are three or 303. We want to go after him. We want to pursue him with our whole hearts. We want to read the Bible, yes. We want to pray, yes. Not because it's a thing we have to do, but because it means we can walk with him and know him better. And if we just go back to the text, it's interesting to note in verse 3, it says, the Lord has done great things for us, past tense, and we are filled with joy. I want to just underline that for a second, that where you are now, even if... You have in difficult and challenging times, which the psalmist probably is in as well, you can know God's joy because we can draw it from the past into the present. There is a present joy that comes from knowing Jesus. There is a present joy that comes from the cross of Christ that we can experience now. No matter what we're facing. We can be in difficulties and challenges, but we can still know the joy of the Lord. And as we read on into this psalm, it becomes apparent that is exactly the situation that the psalmist is penning in order for the people of God to sing. It's a difficult time. How do we know that? Well, verse 4 says this. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. God, God, you've restored our fortunes. You've done something amazing. We're so joyful. It's great. We can experience it now. But actually, we still need more restoration. God still needs to do more. And that's the situation, actually, on this world we will always find ourselves in. There's no escaping that, really, that we will know something of the joy of God, but we know something of the desire for more restoration. We know God has done something fantastic, is doing something fantastic, but we need him to do something more because we're in a broken world. That's the nature of what it is. So today, if you're struggling... And if life's difficult and it's challenging and you want God to break in, you want him to restore, you're in a good position. You're in a very biblical position. That's what the Bible would suggest we face. 
And we're in need of more restoration. And restoration, just in case that's a word's not familiar for you, if you're under 10, that might be the situation. Restoration, let's imagine a beautiful old house that is perfectly decorated, all the furniture's lovely, the house is pristine, but then no one looks after it, and it gets damaged in the fire, and it gets worse and worse and worse. And what we say is in need of restoration. We need to bring it back to what it was like. We need to make it better to what it should be. And so when I'm saying restoration, that's what I mean, really, to bring it back to the way God really wants it to be, the way it should be. So when we look around at our world, we must arrive at this conclusion, more restoration is required. Just in the last week, seeing the racism that has come out because of the referendum, you think, God, we, just, we need restoration. It's not right, Lord, it's not right. We look at the terrorism that happens across the world and you think, God, please, this, this, we need restoration. How, how can that continue? It's horrendous, Lord. And maybe it's something even more significant when your football team goes out of the European Championship without even getting to the quarterfinals. Lord knows the England team needs restoring. <laughs> All my life. Um, maybe, maybe, not maybe, definitely, in the church... I look around here, and I look around the 11.30 congregation, and I look at the 3.30 congregation, and I arrive at this conclusion. God is doing something wonderful with us. We're a people founded on grace, who love Jesus, who live by the word, and full of the spirit. But that doesn't mean that restoration is not required. God needs to do more with us. God needs to do more with us. God still needs to work on us, City Church. Let's not get to a place where we think we've arrived, we're sorted, we've nailed it. Boom, job done. No, he needs to still work on us. Let's be, let's humble ourselves and say, God, what would you have do with us as a church? What do you want to change in us? Where are we not quite right? Where would you want to restore us? And maybe in our lives, we look at our lives and we think, oh God, we just need, we need restoration. Maybe there's difficult relationships. Maybe you're in a mind-numbingly boring job. Maybe at school you've got some difficult friendships or maybe you're being bullied or maybe the work is just so hard at the moment. Maybe you're just lonely. In our lives we need restoration. We need God to break in. Or maybe in our character. Maybe we look at ourselves and say, God, you need to restore me. I look at my wife Jules and I arrive at that conclusion regularly. It's a joke. But let me give you an example. I will give this example at 11.30. There was integrity involved in this, don't worry. Last week, my wife said to me, Ben, can you go and get a pudding for the family? I said, darling, I'd love to. My heart is to serve. So I went to Asda. I looked across the whole store, drew a conclusion that four chocolate eclairs would be an excellent choice as a pudding for our family. Purchased them, brought them home, laid them on the table. Four eclairs for the family pudding. My wife pointed out there are five people requiring a chocolate eclair. How does this work mathematically? I said, it's a chance for me to lay my life down for the family. I shall not have a chocolate eclair. My wife's love for me was stirred. And my self-sacrificial love. But, in a turn of events that I did not expect, after my wife had consumed only half a chocolate eclair, she said, darling, would you want the other half? My heart was stirred. I remarked to my wife, what a lovely romantic gesture, I am blessed. She looked at me with a slight glint in her eyes. 
There was a, a small proportion of myself which was slightly worried, which was justified. She then continued to stuff the chocolate eclair on my face and rub the chocolate all over my nose. She requires restoration. <laughs> I require restoration. I have four children, four children, which young, youngish as well, which means that continuous uninterrupted sleep, well, I don't even know what that is. I've got no idea. But even that, though that is the case, when a child cries in the night, my reaction should be, oh dear, what's the matter? Let me go and sort it out. My reaction is this. Who dare wake me from my slumber? And, and thing in the night, I don't know about this, I don't know about it, in the night, wisdom and insight disappear from me. Perspective disappears entirely. And when the third child, third separate child, has shouted out, I'm convinced that a conspiracy is happening amongst them. That over breakfast, they've said, right, I'll do 2.30, you go for three, and Isabel, why don't you go for four and 4.30? That'll really get him. Which, of course, they're not doing. But because I'm selfish, because I'm self-indulged, because I want comfort, my mind goes to places that are not appropriate. And yes, it's slightly amusing, but actually, it points at the selfishness that's in my heart. And more broadly, sin abounds in my life. I'm still impatient. I still lack grace. My love is a poor reflection of the Savior's love for me. I require restoration. We need God. We need restoration. So with the great joy behind us, and drawing that into the present now, with difficulties in the midst, what do we do? What do we do? Well, this psalm, just because it's a psalm, suggests one thing. We sing. We sing psalms like this. We sing songs of joy. We sing songs of lament. We sing. But this psalm itself points to a couple of things that I just want to draw our attention to. How we can react to this difficult, challenging situation. I think there may be a slide saying prayer. So let's read verse 4 again. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. It's in the midst of a song, but it's a prayer, a deep, heartfelt prayer. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. I've not been to the Negev. I'm not even too sure where it is. But I did a little bit of research, and I understand this a little bit. The streams of the Negev are a little bit like the Sumerian Gorge, which I've got a picture of here. I've actually been to the Sumerian Gorge. It is a dry riverbed in the summer, and it's 17 kilometers long, and you can walk down it. I just demonstrated walking, just, just in case you don't know what walking is. <laughs> that is walking down the Sumerian Gorge for 17 kilometers. It is weird, because you're walking down it, and you know a river should be here. You know a river should be here, but there isn't. There's a trickle here and there. But it's a dry riverbed. It's just weird. And the streams in the Negev dried out in the summer. There was no there, nothing there. So when he says, restore our fortunes like the streams in the Negev, he means in the winter, the streams appeared again. They disappeared entirely, and they appeared again. Are you, this morning, a dry riverbed? Is there an area of your life 
that feels like that. The God of creation can make the rivers flow again. The God of creation can make the rivers flow again. He can send the rain. That is the confidence of the psalmist. That's what he's asking God to do, to restore their fortunes like the streams in the Negev, where there was nothing, no water, totally dry in the summer, but in the winter the rivers flowed. God can do that. But, and here I would suggest is where we arrive probably at the main point of the psalm. But what do we do when God isn't doing that? When God isn't making the rivers flow? When we are in a situation where the rivers dry, how do we handle that? Yes, we pray. We ask God to break in. But let me suggest that the other thing we do is we have patience. I think the next slide has that on there. We have patience. Modern life does not help us be patient. Let me demonstrate how. If 50, 60, 70 years ago, you wanted to find out the definition of patience, you would have got out of your bed. No doubt in your sleep you would have arrived at the conclusion you really need to find out the meaning of patience. You'd have got dressed, you'd have walked down to the library, you'd have found a dictionary, you'd looked it up. Ah, there's the definition of patience. It had probably taken you half an hour at least. Today, let's see if this works. Okay, Google. What's the definition of patience? Patience. The capacity to accept or tolerate delayed problems or suffering without becoming annoyed or anxious. Thank you. (laughs) Three seconds. Three seconds to find the definition of patience. How frustrated do we get when we haven't got a 4G signal and yet even two years ago we couldn't even get 4G? Modern life does not breed patience. There might even be another slide here. Yes, there is a slide here. Anyone remember this? Netscape Navigator, 1995 I came to university. This bad boy was how we viewed the internet. This breeded, relatively speaking, patience. If you wanted to go to a website, you'd type it in. You'd press enter. You'd get your book out. Have a little read. Chat to your mate. Look at the screen. Have another read. And eventually, the website you wanted would be there. It took about three or four hours. <laughs> it was a beautiful thing. Now we have Chrome. Now we have mobile phones where it's all instant. Now there's another example. Now this is an interesting one. Um, can we whack this up? Who has had these at home? I know the Maxwells have had. Has anyone else had them? The Durants? Would anyone want to come and talk about them with me? We've got caterpillars on the screen. Does anyone want to come and talk about them? You don't have to. It's fine if you don't want to. Hello, sweetie. You're... You've got caterpillars? Can you talk? Yeah. Is that apple juice nice? Oh, the microphone scared her. Well, th- my question was, you can tell Daddy if you want, Annie. Did it seem like the caterpillars grew quickly or slowly? What do you think, Daddy? Did it feel like quick or slow? Uh, they got big pretty quick. Yeah. Well, we've got a little photo of the second one there. 
We have these caterpillars, and then we got them on um, a Monday, they were that size. By Saturday, they were that size. Nature is amazing. Creation is amazing. What God did in that moment was amazing. It felt really quick to me. I, really want, I wanted to have a little chat to the kids because I don't know whether that, they might have felt long to them. But to me, it was super quick. No patience was required. These caterpillars came from nowhere. And so even we look at technology, it doesn't encourage us. Caterpillars do not encourage patience. So if you want to breed your patience, don't get caterpillars. Um, <laughs> but the psalmist looks at creation and something that helps us with our patience. So it says, it's a farming analogy. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. The analogy that encourages patience is one of farming. I've not seen a farmer throw a seed down and 10 days later stamp his feet because nothing's grown. He knows the deal. He knows the deal. He knows that he needs to put in time and giving and digging and plowing and effort. And he knows all that goes in and it produces a harvest. But may I suggest gently that perhaps because of modern life, we may be more prone to frustration and disappointment when we don't get fruit straight away, when we don't reap a harvest straight away. And we can be tempted to give up. And that, that, my friends, is the response of an instant generation. This song encourages us to keep going. In the world, we need to keep seeking justice and mercy wherever we can and as God leads us. In the church, we need to keep going. Core group leaders, keep going. You're doing a great job. Keep going. Those who lead kids' work and youth work, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your time and energy and effort. Keep going. Keep sowing. Keep going. And if any of the elders were here, I'd encourage them as well, but they're not. But because this is on tape, keep going, Dan. Keep going, Rich. We're with you. And with ourselves, in our work situations, in our school situations, in our relationship with God, let's keep sowing. Let's keep going. Let's not give up. As a, as a very famous modern-day philosopher sang, have a little patience. Gary Barlow, just in case you're wondering. Have a little patience. I hope that's not the only thing you remember from this morning. Gary Barlow's words of wisdom. Have a little patience. What is the result? The psalmist is hoping for and praying for. He's saying we will get songs of joy. Now this is not a mathematical formula. You put this in, you get that out. It's a biblical principle that what you sow, you will reap. If you sow with tears, you'll reap with joy, is what the psalmist is saying. There's no timing on this, but fundamentally it's an encouragement to keep going, to keep believing, to keep trusting God. And Paul made a similar encouragement to the Galatians, and we have the text behind here. He said this, Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. We sow in a way that pleases the Spirit. 
Now, Paul's phrased it slightly differently, but I think fundamentally there's the same encouragement as the psalmist, which is don't give up. Don't get weary in doing good. Don't give up sowing in line with the Spirit. Keep going. Purely because this is the psalm that God has for this morning, I therefore wonder this. I wonder if some of us here are just a bit tired. Just a bit weary of doing good. A bit tired of investing in that difficult friendship. A bit tired of reaching out to friends at work or at school. Maybe a bit weary of leading in an area of church life. Maybe tired of choosing to do something productive rather than just sitting in front of the TV. Maybe tired of helping other people. The psalmist says we will reap with joy. Songs of joy will flow. Yes, sometimes in this earth, but the guarantee is in heaven we will sing songs of joy. That is because we're not primarily investing in this life. We're investing in eternity. Let me finish by saying this. We can be confident that God is producing a, producing a harvest of joy for us in the future. We can know that whatever stage we are at, whether we're up or whether we're down, we can know God's joy because he has restored us and he has saved us. We need to draw on that and not let that truth, that joy, that relationship run cold. Which means... The people of God, we can sing Psalm 126. We can sing it and we can be encouraged that we have joy. And that joy will come. But in the meantime, we need to have a little patience and keep on sowing. Amen.